0: Here in my car and I'm driving to work but the radio's crap so I listen to Teletech Star. It may be a murk but it's fifteen years old. The air conditioning doesn't work but at least I've got Dan and Carl. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Teletext R podcast. We're hoping to provide you with a little bit of content to get you through self-isolation. And what better subject to address than Teletext in the time of emergencies? This edition is going to focus primarily on emergency Teletext broadcasts, hypothetical and physical real ones that have happened in the past. So I am Dan Farrimond, one half of your hosting team. And the other half is just over there. Hello.
1: Good day, mate. It's only me, Cole, that other cole on Twitter, etc., etc. How are you keeping today, Dan? Alright? I'm
0: pretty good. So you're in Australia now?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah yeah, mate. I'm isolating in Australia. No, I'm not actually. I don't know why I even come out with an Australian accent yeah no I'm absolutely fine i'm um i'm I'm still at work at the moment then because I've got one of these sort of like uh, apparently key worky sort of things, but uh, we're in strange days, and um strange days call for strange measures, and some of the strangest measures we've seen is um a return and another yet another reprieve for the BBC Red Button service in a time of national crisis.
0: That's correct. The time when we need the BBC Red Button Teletext service the most. And Carl has a theory about why it's being kept around, and would you be able to furnish us with that?
1: Yes, uh, well, so the way things are at the moment at the time of recording, we are locked down because of social distancing and uh, restrictions and the health and safety of people, uh, you can't actually film soap operas in the light now because um, it's just basically too dangerous um, for the virus to spread amongst people. So regular daily dramas are now going down to, say, maybe twice a week, so they last. Um, other programmes which required a studio audience are actually being canned because um, there's just no studio audience and they're not working. So the BBC have actually been asked to become more of a public information broadcaster. What do we mean by this? Well, we mean that when the kids are actually off school, um, there's going to be educational programmes there that they can like maybe watch by accident, hopefully along the lines of what we had when we were off school ourselves. But the education remit's um, already uh, been sprung back into life at very short notice. Other new programmes have been... um, uh, have been commissioned as well. Uh, Jamie Oliver's doing the cookery show, there's fitness shows, there's public information broadcasts on all BBC outlets now, and of course you've got the red button that has actually got a um, another stay of, um, of, of execution. But is this a temporary one or is this a permanent reprieve? Do we need the uh, red button service? Well, we surely do, because there's going to be a lot of people who use that service who are self-isolating for the mandatory 12 weeks that they have to.
0: Yes, to some extent, broadcasting, it's, it's time to shine once again. We've gone back to the past a little bit, to the 80s and 90s, when the internet wasn't around and television was the main focus, people's main focus. I believe I was watching a video that talked about the Only Fools and Horses 1991 Christmas special, and 25 million people viewed that. Imagine that today, 25 million people view... Oh, hold on a minute, didn't this happen just last week? (laughs) Yeah, I, I believe it did, one of the Prime Minister's announcements. Didn't that reach 20 million viewers? Which is a record for yonks.
1: Yeah, well, yeah that's it. I, think it. I think it was the Prime Minister press conference episode where they take the wrong chandelier down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a bit, or it's the one where, where, where the health secretary leans on the bar and falls through it. Play, <laughs> play it steady, pretty, tell. Ah! <laughs> down he goes, yeah. But um, yeah, and, and also we've covered this before and it's like prophecy now coming through. It's not the fact that everybody's going to use the red button service, Dan. We know that. We know we're the only two people that are banging on about it in the whole entire world of podcasting. It's not that. It's the fact that it goes back to the point that we were saying, trusted sources. You can pick up anything you like that you want to believe on Twitter right now. All you Hmm. have to do is type in what you believe and up it comes. So... Why have they reprieved this uh, service? It's because it is a source of trusted news. And they've known it all along. And that's probably the frustration. This has been known all along by governments and media select committees. It's been known about that all the time. But now, unfortunately, the government need it, so it's back. But I think after this, I don't think it's going to get mothballed. It will always be there, and that's because that is our emergency broadcast service.
0: Lots of people have been talking about potential internet blackouts and internet shortages. That could be quite a way in the future yet, but you never know how things could escalate quickly with these sorts of issues. So we definitely need something like the BBC Teletech service to help us through whatever might happen because we never know, and people need to access this information as quickly as possible. I've seen it myself already a couple of times, my internet's gone down. So imagine what might happen if vast swathes of the country are put on internet rationing and they're not able to get to their usual sources of information on their phones and iPads. Then all of a sudden it's the BBC's turn to basically, as
1: I said, go back to its public broadcasting roots. Absolutely yeah, no, I I agree completely. And the um the the internet at the moment is being pushed to its limits with the amount of home workers we've got. The yes. um the internet capability of the country is certainly a lot better than it uh, than it was. It's improving all the time. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how good the, all the links are in the city, it's the pair of copper wires that are coming out of the exchange into the house. is going to dictate the quality of the broadcasts and, and, and the web conferences and things like that that people have to carry out. And there is only a certain amount of bandwidth. I can see a point where, you know, certain areas will be sort of like clipped maybe on their bandwidth because people are taking their technology away from infrastructures in the city and taking them home um you know it's been quite funny watching the uh, the tv where you get all your experts and all that broadcasting from their front rooms and uh, you know the, the the quality of the of the connection is uh, awful it's really blotchy it's, it's sort of um but that, that that's what we what, what we do have to contend with um so yeah, there might be a case where you do need to have an alternative means of getting a message out very quickly to many people. Um, and I think the red button, I mean, I'd say good old-fashioned teletext, but if we've got the red button and, and that's what we have now, that—that that is one silver bullet that could do that very quickly.
0: Well, let's look at this from the other side for a second. We're obviously very biased towards Teletext. With regards to keeping the BBC Red Button service around after all of this, somebody could easily come and say, well, all that information that's there on the red button, you could just watch a BBC News channel for 10 minutes, and you've got all the information you need. However, this morning we were watching the news, and it said there's a news item coming up later on we had to wait 15 minutes for it to come on if that were placed up on the bbc red button we wouldn't have to wait for 15 minutes see i'm shooting down my own argument (laughs) see there's there's no way that the bbc red button is going to be shot down after all of this no way
1: (laughs) it takes a crisis to find out what what's really needed um but that's not to say that it's a perfect service. It can be boosted more. It can be it can be boosted more to help more people out. Maybe a maybe more of a regional one as well. You know where it could have a list of um, what particular items are in stock at certain places, opening times, closing times for for certain for certain shops, uh, what the restrictions are, what the symptoms are. You know, it's all there or or it all should be there. And that's, um, you know, that's the public service remit. I think that's um, so there you go. So it's quite, quite amazing that we, you know, we sort of like started our first sort of like second series of these podcasts Talking about how important the uh, red button is, and it and it's been it's been pulled, reprieved, pulled, reprieved, and and now reprieved um, again in 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 the shorter you know in in the, in the matter of months. So uh, I was just thinking of what other uses you could have for you know an, an EBS as well. Sorry, the,
0: the an EBS is an oh, emergency course. broadcast.
1: Yes. Go on. Yes, of course. So, yeah, an EBS, an emergency broadcast service, um, would be something that would be obviously that would kick in in times of a crisis or emergency, and would basically, you know, provide information to people in that area on how to react or behave um, after a certain um, after a certain disaster or catastrophe. That's what the red button is at the moment. And uh, we've all, you know, we all look at like pastiches on the internet of emergency broadcast services. We've all made a couple, haven't we? You know, like nuclear attack, turn turn your radio <laughs> to a medium wave and tune into X, Y, and Z. Um, and, and there's even a zombie apocalypse as well for emergency <laughs> broadcast service, that, uh, which is, uh, you yeah, know, which is really good. On, on the net you can pick up from Studio Ronnenberg a social teletext network and he goes on to um, explain how he would um he would utilize the the teletext for um, for emergency broadcasting services as well, and he's got some really powerful uh, arguments there to have it. An internet kill switch is a countermeasure against cybercrime. It is based on the concept of activating a single shut-off mechanism for all internet traffic. The theory behind a kill switch in the current creation of a single point-of-control managed uh, by one authority, in order to shut down the internet to protect it from unspecified assailants. I mean, that sounds really cool, and he's got some really good—he's um, got really good animation on that site as well. Uh, if you ever want to have a look at that, Dan, it's on uh, Ronenberg. That's R-O-N-N-E-N-B-E-R-G dot i-o forward slash projects forward slash s-t-n. But um, he's used a, a teletext style. Thing there, although although it's not it's not legal teletext, but it does look really <laughs> really cool. Um So yeah, emergency and and it's this um it goes in hand in hand with hack culture, doesn't it? I mean, you know, when we when we play with teletext, we are sort of like a a hack culture as well, because we like to play with something that and and adapt it for a, for a different thing. So, uh, zombie apocalypses and and emergency broadcast systems and and things like that, they go hand in hand. Yeah, so it's sort of like a dystopian future, but maybe we are in it now with the red button needing to uh, say what it needs to say.
0: Yes, so this, this project could easily just be taken up once again and redone in the context of the red button. It's actually an art project that was shown at the Royal College of Art Show 2013. Uh, Abandon Normal Devices Festival, Liverpool, 2013, and DataBit Alice, 2014. So, if you go to that page, you can see some of the graphics as Carl mentioned that have been mocked up for people's homepages, etc. This is basically where we're headed uh, in the case of extreme emergencies. Without the well, actually, it doesn't even have to be that extreme an emergency at times like this, we're really going to find out how flexible our internet services are, and how uh, robust our internet framework is. Hmm.
1: Yeah, it, there. I mean, there have been um, anecdotal stories that people's uh, mobile phone uh, networks haven't been so good of, of late, um, but that's only anecdotal, and I wouldn't want to say that that was anything to do with the current climate we're in. You know, it could just be a problem with a local cell um, but you know, it, people are beginning to entertain those thoughts because uh, you know we are in in strange times. Um, but uh, yeah, but I mean, you know, looking at some of these pages, you could um, you could apply them to. There's a there's a lovely one here on his page with uh, he's got UHF sort of like band C aerial coming out of a sharp monitor, uh, and it's got the graphic London in big words, and it's got it's got London in a blocky. Representation of the city with the Thames running through it, and it's got various different numbers there, and those numbers are for page numbers um, and and things like that. But you know, you that, that that could be totals for 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 cases of illness or or you know uh, casualties after a nuclear attack. It could be applied to anything. In fact, you could uh, that that would lend itself to um anything if you wanted to uh, retweet that out of context. Um, it would certainly match with what what you're after. So. uh yeah, it's it's just really interesting I, I just uh, find 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 the whole thing really quite fascinating an emergency broadcast service, it'd be very very mm. very, very good thing to implement and um, if we sent everybody just a Raspberry Pi with our CFAX on it, uh, and our TFAX on it, um, you know, you could send one of them in the post to everyone, like we said before you know, we'll buy that old detector van no one's using, <laughs> go around and deliver them by hand
0: yeah, but wouldn't we need a little aerial with every single Raspberry Pi that we give away? Because in a post-internet world, how are people gonna get access to the TFAX pages? Currently, you download them from an internet server, so it's not a completely broadcast thing. How would we go about modifying that so we've we've got an aerial and we pump that out nationwide to everybody? everybody who's got an aerial.
1: Ah, right. Okay, so this is what... This will take a little bit more than just a Raspberry Pi, but what you could do is do it like a ham packet radio and just do a page by page. So I'd actually have to listen out for the page and then and then just decode it and, and load it up as an image on a TV screen. That could be done. But um, okay. that, that's a lot more things. So I might have shot me fox, really, with the, with that idea, because you're right, you need the internet for that. But, okay, so on reduced internet, it would still work, because you're a, your pages yes. are only a kilobyte each. So the bandwidth needed would be basically, um, well, for a whole street, it would be basically, uh, you know, ha- hardly any Mbps needed for a whole street. You could actually go back to a, a dial-up modem very easily um, to, to to do that so that would be one solution around it I guess, plug them into the phone lines or
0: we could just bring back the whole teletext system and because we've probably mentioned this in a million episodes but most TVs around these days still accept the old analogue teletext, they still support it, so how hard could it be just to switch on the analogue transmitters again (laughs) how hard could it be just to get traditional teletext running again yeah
1: this this is what makes you wonder about are you know are they being completely truthful when they say that they're switching from one system to another i mean you know maybe that infrastructure is still there and you know it's just not being used but i'm sure it's being serviced and maintained I mean, it must be because it is the same it's the same it's the same sort of you know transmitting equipment it's just transmitting a, a different Different type of data, as I understand it. So you do wonder, you do wonder if there, you know, if there is actually a fallback there where they go right, okay, yeah, we can go to analog for this area, and just repipe it back through an anal- analog service. I'd love to do um, some teletext sniffing at some point, you know, where. I don't know, maybe maybe they run a test transmission on an analog frequency, but no one ever sees or knows it's there because no one's ever got their analog sets on anymore, you know, listening out for it, so to speak.
0: An illegal Teletext broadcast. I could get behind
1: that. (laughs) Yeah. You would need to transmit at... Uh, I don't know what the about 500 megahertz or 600 what was um well it's channel 36 was where your zx spectrum used to go in the back and where channel 5 came in and that was I think that was uh, about 530 megahertz I think for the picture so you just need the picture broadcast and the picture could be blank but with a teletext carrier on it so it's not completely impossible, but it is beyond my realms of understanding at the time of recording.
0: Well, should the internet crash completely, then we'll have to start thinking about these things. And basically, how do people connect with each other? Do we go back to using mobile, well, landline telephones to speak to each other? I don't have a landline, so what do we do when the mobile transmitters crash? And the internet crashes. I'll have to run down to the high street with twenty pence to put into the payphone.
1: <laughs> yep. Yeah, well, I mean, it, you got to think in a world like that. You know, how important is it to to, to call anyone anyway? I guess. But um, you know, personally, I, I I still have a landline because if there's a power cut, you know, I can still use my telephone because uh, it runs on the fifty volts all the way through. So if I had a power cut and I lost my Charger or whatever you know, I can still pick up a telephone and make a phone call out of my house, which is uh, always quite handy. But yeah, and it is, it, is, it is a strange world, isn't it? Where we've, we've moved on so far that we're um, we're probably you know cut, cutting away the fallbacks that we had, but. It's a world that we're going into, but, yeah, we're going into nuclear apocalypse sort of uh, territory now. Um, Yeah. But could you set up a pirate teletext? Yeah, pirate teletext. Of course,
0: yeah. I'm sure that's the first thing that we would do if the internet crashed. We'd get on our landline phones, call each other and say, come on, we've got to set up a teletext service, and we'd have our teletext BBS that we've got going. We'd just need to Mm. get a few coat hangers, twist them together... Put the mouse in the back garden, <laughs> hook it up to T-Fax, and voila, we have a nationwide broadcasting
1: system. Well, so we need a shopping list then. You need a shopping list. So first of all, we need to be going and getting a teletext inserter. What about tea bags? for T-Fax? Tea tea bags. Yes, need need tea. Um, you'd need the transmitter. Um, I'll tell you who we need to speak to. Who's that chap? Um the the, the gangster? Um Alistair Cree. Oh yeah. Alistair Cray. He would tell us out for this. Yeah, he, he'd be able to, he he could sort this out for us. But um yeah, basically to do that pirate thing you could do that. Or you could hop on, on a transponder, which means you let you let a, a proper company do all the heavy lifting and then basically you just get enough equipment just to um do a broadcast intrusion um and make sure that you've you, your VBR, your vertical blanking interval is uh going in over the top of theirs. Uh but then you are relying on um on having the equipment and relying on them being up and running for you to piggyback off of it. Uh but that'd be quite interesting, wouldn't it? To do a broadcast intrusion with, with teletext. That mm. uh, that that'd be because um I think sat- satellites satellite stuff still runs the capability to carry teletext. Mm. It's just that they choose to not do so. So if you could overlay the signal with with one with a VBI then that could be technically possible.
0: Yeah. I say we should do it. I mean all of this stuff is hypothetical, but we have to prepare for these things. You never know what's going to happen. And I think the BBC should be preparing no. too, broadcasters should be preparing too. It would be cool to see all the old Teletext providers that have gone out of business in the last five years spring back up again. But they've probably sold off all of the uh, equipment by now, and there are very few left in the UK. There is Cityfax, which I believe is based in the northwest of England. So what I would have to do is hop in the car. I yes, need to head on, head on down to Cityfax, set up the inserter, and then we're going then. The Teletext R podcast is being mashed down into actual Teletext format. Another type of CFax page is the newsflash. We can superimpose important information over the top of a picture, like this. This little box here is constructed on the visual display unit, and then we just type the information into the box and send it out on network. The viewer at home would be able to program his set so that these sorts of news flashes came up automatically. And then when he'd seen them, he just presses a button on this control unit to get it to vanish. A similar sort of page to that is the subtitle page, which again is constructed in the little box at the bottom of the screen, like that. These sort of pages could
1: be used for subtitling for deaf people or indeed in foreign languages. Unfortunately, because of the restrictions that we're having at the moment, a lot of events that we've been plugging um, have now been um, uh, postponed and moved. So I received an email earlier on uh, this week, as most people have, who have been following these events. Uh, Block Party and Chunky Fringe have been postponed. Uh, but they've not been cancelled, and the new dates will be confirmed once Digitizer Live is rescheduled. And you know, if there were exhibitors or panelists, they'll be checked with, and hopefully they'd still be able to join. It is a shame, but you know, these things don't go on forever, and we'll be back. What I was going to do when I was going to I was going to be at definitely at the one for Digitizer Live. I was going to set up a table and actually just upload and load in Cfax and the Tfax service onto people's SD cards for their Raspberry Pis and uh, try and get them going for them. you know just to, just free of charge no charge or anything like that but just just to get just to give Cfax away <laughs> and to give Tfax away as a free gift for anybody who turns up so that's still very much on the table for when um, when we're live again but um, that's not happening at the moment and we don't know when a lot of big events that you see advertised are saying, uh, oh yeah, we're going to go for August. So I would say that smart money would be, August would be the the next most probable time to um, to reschedule these things. But, you know, just watch this space and if we hear anything, obviously we'll put it on the next broadcast. So, um, yeah, sad to report, but happy that we're in a, in a good position to report it, if you know what I mean.
0: Yeah. Yes, it is a pity that the... Scheduled events have been put back, but they'll happen. They'll just happen a little bit later in the year, which actually helps because the weather might be good, and it's always fun to do teletext mm. in the summer.
1: Exactly. Might be cheaper to stay as well because we'd all be back up and running. It might be might be cheaper just to book a hotel close to the time to get down to those places as well. But I don't know. There, there's a silver lining out there somewhere, and uh, you know we, we will soon find it. That's for sure.
0: Okay, so are there any more events? I guess if there were any they'd be put on hold for a while. I mean, Raquel's doing something over in Spain, I believe, at the moment. It seems to still be ongoing. I don't know if her art studio has closed down, but the local art studio that I'm a member of closed down I think a few days ago. It finally gave up the ghost and said it's, it's too much hassle and it's too dangerous and I don't know when it's going to be open again Mm. but I don't know if Raquel's actually doing those artworks as part of her an internship somewhere or a residency or maybe she's doing them at
1: home are you talking about the isolation ones that she's doing that she's putting on her Facebook page at the moment because they look brilliant they? they look really good I really like them so, so skillful in, in what she does, but I'm not sure if one was actually a, an animation um, or not. Um, I lo- I liked it when I saw it, but I didn't know. Um, I'm going to just try and find it on Facebook while, while we're chatting.
0: I think Raquel is one of the first teletext artists to really tackle the subject of isolation at the moment and the situation that we have going on. I think others will hmm. follow... But, I mean, it's always a fine line to walk because it's, it's certainly a thing that's happening and it, I think it's something that teletext artists and artists in general should document. But it's a fine line, I think, crossing over into outrage and controversy. But I think what Raquel has done is really good. Sorry, you were going to say something.
1: No, absolutely. I was seconding that. I've found her artwork now and... Um she uses a classic black and white again um, and it's Teletext uh, Animation Confinement. She's hashtagged on that. Yeah, there's some really, really impressive artworks there. It looks like she's used um, like compound pages on some of them because it's, they're quite highly detailed, some of them, but um, they really are good. Actually, you've made me uh, come to think of it. I've remembered there is a chap doing a a, a COVID diary which is going on Tfax at the moment. Um... That there's a guy that's uploading like uh, basically a daily journal of what he's been up to, and and I think Peter's been putting it on the TFX server. Um, so yeah, it's is, it is, you know people are documenting these things um, in their own unique ways, and I do understand what you mean about sort of sensitivity because it's going to be such a far-reaching um, condition for people that although you know some of us are luckier than others and and don't actually know firsthand of, um, you know, people who have, um, who have who have suffered with it, uh, that won't always be the case with the numbers they're talking about. So, yeah, one day you can make a joke about something and then the next day it can be considered completely insensitive. So I know that they're the, the challenges that everyone has, but, you know, with, with art, it does, you know, if, if it's done tastefully, then um, it will push it will push the, um, you know, the boundaries and and make people think. Um, One thing about, I'm just looking at, uh, she's managed to use grey in some of these images. And I'm wondering how she's managed to do that. I don't know if you're able to look at them at some point, but um, uh, unless she's used blue and then just done it for a black and white filter for the the pictures. Hmm. But some of it looks grey. Very interesting. That could
0: be a possibility, yeah. I mean, with the level 2 Teletext editor by Alistair Cree, you can change the colours. Cree? Yes, Cree, Cree. Uh, And you can have greyscales, and whatever colour you like, actually. Any colour you like, as Henry T. Ford allegedly said.
1: (laughs) Yes, you can have any colour you like as long as it's cayenne.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that should be the name of this episode. (laughs)
1: Yeah <laughs> yeah. I'm Fixer Kayan. I like Teletech so much that I bought the company. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay, so those were the events put on hold for the time being, but
1: I believe we've had a little bit of feedback, isn't that right Carl? Yes, we've had a little bit of feedback to the shows, we've had a few shows out now, um, and uh, yeah, there's been a lot of uh, nice things said. Um, Yeah, so we've got uh, big shouts out to uh, Cara Moon, Barry Ellis, Cross Street Arts, uh, which is I think so friends of yours there Dan they? yeah you mentioned think? earlier actually um, yeah that's right yeah they're the ones that have had to um, close aren't they for, for the time being but um, super page 58 thank you very much they've said very nice things about uh, the podcast giving another plug to this latest episode of Teletext R because it's great well that's very nice of them to say so uh, it's really good Paul Rose we've got a solo too Reese Jones Peter Quan. Uh, a japanese guy i can't pronounce his uh, japanese stuff wayne drearden has said that he was doing some songs for a stand and i believe that you've got some of them recordings uh, ready and waiting to go um, at some point yes uh, who else we got here yeah we've got got a few people we're, we're shouting out to and if i've missed anybody i'm ever so sorry but we'll get you again you know in the next ones coming up definitely oh james o'malley and was it James O'Malley who did the recording for the BBC um, on The Boring Podcast? Didn't he do a, an episode of The Boring Podcast? Yes, he did. Did you, did you listen to that?
0: Yeah, it was fantastic. That's was
1: excellent, wasn't it? On BBC Sounds. Sounds. BBC Sounds. The Boring Talks. And it's Boring Talks number 46. And it's about teletext. And, um, you know, if you need to know what teletext is... That is absolutely brilliant. I, I really, you know, I didn't expect it to come up. Uh, I saw it tweeted while I was at work, and I listened to it um, from one going from one job to another, and it was uh, it was over too quickly. Um, it was absolutely brilliant. But um, it's nice to know that serendipity going on all over the, uh, the the web, isn't there? Really, that everybody, you know, anybody, anybody who's anybody who who loves tech loves a bit of teletext.
0: Yes, absolutely the podcast that James O'Malley recorded was an excellent overview of what Teletext was and what it has become, and the major players and things that are happening at the moment in regards to VHS recovery, and a little bit of a nod to the artwork scene as well. So, uh, James O'Malley's been very active, actually. Last year, at the Chunky Fringe, he presented the Teletext Recovery Panel, I think, which was great. And I think we might have said this before, but it is on YouTube. There is a playlist that I've put together of Chunky Fringe 2090. But if I may just move on a little bit, if I may just move on a little bit to some other feedback, Rhys Jones says we were asking in the podcast, when hashtag Teletext 50 minds a car, and judging by a particular engineering announcement video, it's going to be April 2023. Now, this is a quite interesting video, actually, because it says that 1973 was the date that Oracle, I do believe, or the ITV Teletext service was launched, or at least the test services began. It says Oracle Teletext first transmissions in April nineteen seventy three during engineering announcements. So hashtag teletext fifty will be exactly three years away
1: from now, if that's to be believed. All right. Okay. Well we did um we did allude to the fact that there was a nagging doubt on whether um C was first first to air. Um but yeah, if we count the engineering their version we need to be doing teletext 50 for 1973 to 2023 um so that that will have to be the aim wouldn't it so we've um we've only really got like um not not long now to plan i think and that's the, mm. the, the, the thing that we need to do uh yeah so uh, thanks very much for that yeah that's a decent bit of feedback um and um yeah that it's good it's good that there's a bit of conversation going on around these things
0: Peter KVT80, which is Peter Kwan, says, if we can't wait till 2023, we could have TFAX 5 on August 28th of this year, which is when TFAX first went live.
1: Yep, let's do it. It's got to be done. I've just wrote that down. T- TFAX 5. That's a great <laughs> little... Um, yeah, you know, It's like, free the TFAX 5.
0: Actually, I talked a little bit about that when I recently... Filled in for Peter K. Peter K. For Peter Kwan on the Talk Spot ra- radio interview. Yeah, he was supposed to do a Talk Spot radio interview, but he wasn't able to, so I filled in at the last minute. And we did talk about how old TFX is now.
1: CFX is still alive, well, and creative, and it's now known as t and one of the men directly involved in it, a Teletext pixel artist called Dan Faramond, joins us now. Good morning, Dan, and how is it possible then to, to rebroadcast to keep c going? What have you and, and fellow kind of uh, colleagues on this done?
0: Uh, well, good morning, Paul. Yes, um, t is actually the brainchild of a guy called Peter Kwan, who's an engineer that used to work on c many years ago, and actually a number of other services in the UK and abroad, and he founded Tfax shortly after, I think, Cfax died in 2012, and Tfax was 2015, as a sort of spiritual successor to Cfax, I think. It's a community-based teletext system, and it runs on this system a computer, a small computer called the Raspberry Pi which is actually used a lot in schools to teach coding and other things so it's uh, quite
1: apt in a way. So what happens that the teletext pages are then downloaded, are they, onto an an analogue TV from a server? How does that side of it work? Uh?
0: Yes, that's right. TFAX is an online service which means that you can view it on the internet. But that is the most fascinating thing, that using the Raspberry Pi, you can plug it into your ordinary Teletext television, hit the Teletext button, and view TFAX, much as you would have done with CFAX. It takes maybe about an hour to set up. There are simple instructions online, and anybody can do it. If I could do it, anybody can.
1: So, Carl, any further feedback, or is that it? Well, just say thanks to Matty Rämu for that brilliant interview that you carried out with him, uh, giving us an insight into uh, uh, Finland's Teletech service. And um, yeah, big shout out to him as well. And uh, yeah, really enjoyed that episode. And there'll be plenty more episodes like that to come, where you know, where we're able to uh, get guests on and um, go into these things further. But um, yeah, it was a very interesting person to interview. Yeah, brilliant. It's re- re- really good.
0: Yeah, I enjoyed that interview and finding out quite a lot, busting some of the myths, as it were, regarding which I did ask Matty about Teletext coverage in, uh, and actually internet coverage in Finland. And it links into what we were talking about earlier, about if the internet went down, could Teletext take over? But apparently... There's very, very good coverage of internet in the Finnish regions. So the reason people enjoy teletext, he says, is because it's so cool. It's not because the internet isn't ubiquitous. Once there was a man who... Ask questions on teletext, his name was Bamboozler, Learn when you got a question wrong, he said that you have been bamboozled. Goes away to cheat, though press buttons really quick, clear. Once there was a worm who went on adventures with Glug. His name it was Turner, and when Digitizer ended, we saw the real Turner, the worm being sick we know what it was though press reveal it well ejaculating thingy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. thank you very much for listening to this episode of the teletext star podcast we've Very much enjoyed having you here, and we hope you all keep safe and warm, indoors, follow the government's guidelines, and use BBC Red Button Teletech service. Anything more to add, Carl?
1: I think that's enough for this episode, uh, Dan. Thanks very much again, and uh, yeah, stay safe, keep it blocky, and Kyanara. Kayonara.